You're listening to the Assembly Call IU podcast and postgame show, the place where Indiana fans across the globe hang out online after every IU basketball game. Join us for our live broadcasts on Thursday nights and immediately following every IU game at our website, assemblycall.com. That's assemblycall.com. Before we get to this week's episode of Assembly Call Radio, a quick word from this week's sponsor, SeatGeek. As you know by now, buying tickets can be complicated and confusing, but there is a better way to buy with SeatGeek. SeatGeek is the smartest, easiest way to get tickets to every type of live event. Whether you're searching for a last-minute deal, planning a night out with friends, or need to find the perfect gift, SeatGeek helps you find the best seats at the best prices, fully guaranteed. There is nothing quite like being there in person, and SeatGeek will get you closer to the action for a great value. I have the SeatGeek app on my phone. I hope by now that you do as well. Uh, and it is by far the easiest way that I have found to shop for tickets because I can be anywhere, and with just a few taps, I can instantly find seats. I have used SeatGeek to buy Mavericks tickets to go see Yogi play. I've used it to buy Rangers tickets. I've used it to buy Ed Sheeran concert tickets for my wife. Uh, use it to buy IU tickets. And you can too. You'll find IU basketball tickets on there, IU football tickets, uh, and any type of live event pretty much that you want, you will find on SeatGeek. And I highly recommend the app because it does make it so convenient. And that's the thing about SeatGeek is it is designed to make your ticket buying experience easier than ever. And they save you time and money because they search multiple ticket sites to compare prices and find amazing deals. And best of all, because you are an Assembly Call listener, you get $20 off of your first SeatGeek purchase. So just download the SeatGeek app and enter the promo code ASSEMBLY today. That's A-S-S-E-M-B-L-Y, promo code ASSEMBLY, for $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase. Welcome, Hoosier fans, to this week's edition of Assembly Call Radio, where each week we discuss the most important IU basketball stories from the past seven days. This is our 80th edition of Assembly Call Radio, and it is our 411th episode overall of the Assembly Call, recorded on the evening of Thursday, June 14th, 2018. I am your host, Jared Morris. And let's begin this edition of the Assembly Call, how we begin every edition of the Assembly Call, and that is with our Hoosier Proud banner moment. And Indiana is the national champion. When it comes down, Indiana will be champion. Smart takes the shot. Oh, Hoosiers have won the national championship. This week's banner moment occurred on Tuesday, June 12th at 7.18 p.m. when the official IU basketball Twitter account tweeted a 40-second video of Indiana's five freshmen arriving on campus. We saw Jake Forrester with a pink shirt, backpack, and his old-school Jawan Morgan-style shock-top hairdo. We saw the serious-looking strolls of Jerome Hunter and Demise Anderson. We saw Robert Finnessy munching on what appeared to be candy and flashing a sideways peace sign. And of course, we saw Romeo Langford strolling as casually as you'd expect him to, glancing down at his phone. Now, the first reason this moment was important should be obvious. This is Archie's first recruiting class, and it is a top 10 group that features a one-and-done superstar, another guy with clear star potential, and then three additional four-star players who fit specific needs and who, at a minimum, 
project as solid four-year contributors for IU. In other words, it's a foundational recruiting class for a program that needed its cracking foundation repaired. And now they are on campus, ready to work on their bodies with Cliff Marshall, on their games with IU's coaches, and on their chemistry together and with their veteran teammates. This is why Tuesday was an important milestone for the Archie Miller rebuild of IU basketball. But this particular moment and this particular tweet was also important for another reason. Like the Deron Davis video blog from two weeks back, this was yet another example of Indiana using social media in a smart, strategic way. This short video gave us as fans a few extra little bits of exposure to the players we'll be cheering for over the next four seasons, which builds excitement and anticipation for the season. But more importantly, it's a signal to the top-rated recruits Indiana is going after that when you arrive on IU's campus, it will mean something. Your arrival won't go unnoticed. Now, maybe that kind of thinking will ruffle the feathers of some old schoolers, people who might still prefer that freshmen be ineligible. But the reality is that top-rated basketball recruits, the kind you build a blue blood program with, are used to exposure and attention and their presence being a big deal. This video and other smart ways that Indiana is using social media are signals to those players that Indiana is a perfect place to continue building themselves as basketball players and to build themselves as basketball brands. It isn't 1976 anymore. It isn't 1993. It isn't even 2013. It's 2018. And Archie Miller's Indiana basketball program has two feet firmly planted in the new era of college basketball. Okay, now let me introduce my esteemed co-host for this week's show. Yes, I said co-host. Andy is out for the next two weeks. And I don't feel bad about it at all. And unfortunately, both Zach and Coach Tonsoni are unavailable this week, so you know what that means. That's right. To my right, he is a man who deftly navigated a treacherous conversation about Las Vegas and its many... entertainment options during his weekly radio appearance with Kent Sterling. He's a columnist for the big lead and the new radio sensation that is burning up the airwaves in San Diego. And he is someone who always responds the exact same way when he hears that a referee has simultaneously blown a call and drawn attention to himself in an important nationally televised game. Was it Ted Valentine? Yes, it probably was. He is San Diego chicken Ryan Phillips. Ryan, what is your rant this week? I'm not sure I like that San Diego chicken <laughs> whatever drop. I, I think we may have to do away with that uh, for, for the sake of my feelings. Uh, I, I, I agree with you. I think I'm going to piggyback on what you said. I think that it was great seeing those kids hit campus and you know, I, we're an Indiana show, so obviously we're focused on the Indiana guys, but really there were a couple videos or just pictures of of kids all across the country hitting campus. And it's great to see. I love seeing stuff like that because it's these kids finally taking the next step and realizing their dreams. And a lot of, you know, let's face it, a lot of people um, don't necessarily that wind up playing college basketball, maybe didn't have the means to even go to college. So seeing these kids get that opportunity and things like that, even if it's at a Mac school or a tiny school, I think that's great to see. Of course, we care more about Indiana and and it was great seeing all of those kids look so excited to be on campus, not just to play basketball, but to sort of further their lives in general. And that's just always awesome to see. It's always fun um, to see young people sort of achieving their dreams. And so seeing those guys all hit campus, all be excited about it was awesome. And, And you're right about social media. This is not 
1983 or, or, or 87 or 93 or whatever. This is a new world. And to some of these kids, it isn't just about playing college basketball. It's about, as you said, building their stature, building their brand. And you have to show them that, hey, we can make you a star. We can let your personality shine a little bit. Like you saw in that Deron Davis video, you got to know Deron a little bit. I know it was only seven minutes, but you kind of got to know the kind of kid he was a little bit. And you know, at least that's the way it was presented. You know, I mean, we know what kind of kid he was presented as and, and, um, and maybe a little bit into their daily lives and what they go through and things like that. I, I think it's a great move by, by Archie Miller because it's a way to make these kids stars to different audiences, you know, not just the national television audience, not just the people who show up to games, but, you know, expose them to the social media world, maybe show them how important that is, maybe show them how important it is to sort of, I guess, present yourself in a certain way uh, on social media, as opposed to maybe some guys who just kind of go off on there. It's, it's, it's about packaging yourself the right way and presenting yourself the right way. So I think there's a lot of lessons to be learned there. It's great to see. And I, and I agree with Archie that one of the things he said when he got there was he wanted to take the social media game to the 21st century because he didn't think it was there uh, at Indiana. And, and I agree with it. I think uh, what they've been doing is great. All right, here are the topics and the questions we are going to address this week. DJ Carton sets his official visit to Indiana. How important is it for the Hoosiers to land Carton? And with the NBA draft coming up next week, we take a look back at the last 30 years of Indiana draft picks. Which was the best? Which was the worst? What are some of the takeaways? We will rank them in order. And of course, we will end the show by taking your questions. All of that coming here on Assembly Call Radio. Now, real quick, before we get to all that, I want to tell you about two great ways to shop online for tickets and for IU gear that also help us out at the same time. Remember these two URLs, iutickets.shop and iustore.shop. Memorize them, bookmark them, whatever works for you, because when you use them to buy IU tickets or gear, we actually get paid a commission for referring you. So iutickets.shop will take you right to SeatGeek, where you can browse the latest listings on IU basketball tickets and always find the best prices and deals. You can also search for IU football tickets, sports tickets, concert tickets, anything. As long as you use iutickets.shop to get there, we'll get credit. And as a bonus, use the promo code assembly to get $20 back after your first purchase. iustore.shop will take you to the official IU online store, where they have gear for everyone and everything, from shirts, hats, and jerseys for adults and kids, to tailgate gear, office gear, basically you name it, and they've got it. And they run a lot of deals there too. So go there and check because they're always doing 15% off, 20% off, uh, so you can get good prices there. But we really, really appreciate you bookmarking and using those URLs because the commissions add up and help us cover the costs of running the show. And just in case you aren't sure exactly where to type those URLs in to access the, the websites, Ryan would like to issue this helpful reminder. You know, they have the internet on computers now. You can probably go find it. Yeah, so thank you for that, Ryan. That's very helpful. Again, the URLs are iutickets.shop and iustore.shop. Thank you. All righty. You are listening to Assembly Call Radio. I am Jared Morris here with Ryan Phillips. These guys are real-life idiots. And, you know, we don't spend a ton of time on the show, Ryan, talking about recruits who you know, haven't committed yet and aren't top-notch in-state prospects. It's just, you know, we obviously started out as a post-game show and we like to talk more about things that we know are going to happen. But I think there's a certain recruit in this upcoming class that we want to make an exception with, and that is DJ Carton. 
I think we all agree that Trace Jackson Davis is the most important recruit in the class of 2019, just given the position that he plays, where, you know, that he's an in-state guy, how much time and effort Indiana has invested in him. But DJ Carton, who's a point guard from Bettendorf, Iowa, may not be far behind. And a big part of that is because of the need that Indiana has in the backcourt and the dearth of high quality, you know, like five star, high four star players in the Midwest. And the most important piece of news this week, and this came from Matthew Bain of the Des Moines Register, is that Carton will make an official visit to Michigan on June 27th and 28th, and then will visit Indiana on the weekend of June 30th. And the other schools involved with him are Iowa, Xavier, Marquette, and Ohio State. So, you know, right now you've got Indiana getting involved with some in-state prospects like Armand Franklin and Brandon Newman. They're, you know, ranked, you know, around 100. Um, maybe not like start day one types like a carton is. And then Indiana is also targeting out of region prospects like Kira Lewis and Jamius Ramsey and Anthony Harris, who are higher rated, but seem less likely simply because they don't have the connection to the region. So you add all of that up. And as I'm looking at the recruiting board, DJ Carton, to me, is the other guy that Indiana really, really needs to get. And right now, it looks like Indiana is in a pretty good position, but we'll obviously have to wait and see how that official visit goes and when he starts cutting his list even more. Yeah, chatter on him has always been Michigan and and Indiana sort of catching up lately and and looking like they're in a good position now. Uh, But Michigan has been the long-held favorite for him, and we'll see how it goes. What Have you had a chance to look at DJ at all? I have. To get an Uh, idea? What are your thoughts on him? I have a general overview. I one of the things I like. He's a really cerebral player. I love uh, the pace of his play, and I and by that I don't mean that he plays fast. I mean that he can actually he reads the game really well. Knows when to speed up. Knows when to slow down. Which I think is a perfect fit for what Archie Miller wants to do. He wants to score in transition, but then he wants to run good, solid half court offense. If that isn't there, and, and uh, you know, set stuff too. It's it's not you know just a sort of freelancing offense like we've seen in the past. What I like about him is he finishes at the hoop. He he obviously, as always, needs to get stronger. Needs he's he's not a big guy. He's six one one eighty. So he needs to be able to take that pounding. Is he only six one? I thought he was taller yeah, than that. About uh, that's oh. what I saw him listed at. Might be a little little. Might be a little. No, I, I think he might be six three actually. Um, but he's very lean. He he actually plays smaller than he is, uh, because he just doesn't have a whole lot of bulk on him. Uh, great handle, great vision. Um, he has some really nice hesitation moves. He's great at actually getting to the basket. It's finishing at the hoop that that needs the work and finishing with both hands. He's a lefty. So finishing with that right hand is going to be very important at the next level. Um, I think he's a willing defender. I don't know if it's his focus now. I think that like a lot of young guards, he sort of plays for the steal as opposed to playing for good defense. But again, that's just high school basketball. That's the AAU circuit these days. And, and I think... The one glaring air for one glaring spot for me is he needs to work on his three point, his outside shooting. Uh, he's a lefty, as I said. Lefties tend to have pretty jacked up mechanics. I don't know why it just tends to work that way. Uh, it's very rare that a lefty has great mechanics uh, as a shooter. It doesn't mean it can't happen. It's just rare. Uh, sorry, I don't mean to offend any lefties out there, but he is. Uh, he, he, a lot of times doesn't get his whole body behind a shot. He kind of shoots off to the, you know, like he'll have his feet pointed one way while he's shooting the other. And then also with his mechanics, instead of snapping the ball and having, you know, snapping his wrist and having the ball roll off the back of his fingers, sometimes he kind of gets over the top of it, uh, and, and sort of shoots it, pushing it. And, and, and that leads to line drives, low shots. And those are obviously much less likely to go in. 
what I will say is somebody with bad mechanics can, can make shots, the, but it just, the margin for error shrinks and shrinks and shrinks and shrinks. I mean, Lonzo ball made 40 something percent of his threes while at UCLA, but any one little thing off in his shot ruins it and, 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 and makes it look really ugly. And so that's it, just an example of how bad mechanics don't kill you as a shooter, but they make it much, much harder to be successful. So it's, it, just some tweaks there would really work things out for him, but he, he's a very good player. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if he eventually gets a fifth star uh, if he cleans up some of that stuff heading into next year. I think he's already gotten a fifth star, according. Like, oh, I saw four seven, I where I was looking. I, I was looking all over at him. Yeah, though, so no, he, I, I mean, he was four. a four star. I mean, he's kind of a borderline guy, but you know, either way, I mean, he's he's one of the top guard prospects, and like I said, I mean, it, there's just not. He a lot is of guys six one, the by the way. I'm I'm is right he? on that. Okay. Six one, six two. Are the two okay. things he's listed at. So, but he's definitely you know one of the most important names to watch, uh, and so uh, you know it, it'll be interesting to see what he decides, and then what Indiana does if he decides not to come. But that would quick fill a huge hole for Indiana if he does. Decide quick to update: come. just uh, on the composite, he's a four star, but twenty four seven has him listed as a five star. Um, okay, so it, it, he's right on that borderline. One thing I also will say is I think that you saw him. In high school, so far, I've seen him take a lot of shots that I really would like him not to take. But I think that's also a symptom of, like with someone like Romeo Lankford, he's so far above his teammates. I mean, Romeo had some great teammates, but they were good high school teammates, not next level college player teammates. I think it's the same with DJ Carton, where he's forced to take some shots that he probably shouldn't be taking and with better teammates around him would probably pass those up. So I wrote that as a negative, but then as I was thinking about it, I'm thinking, well, he's going to be the guy that has to score for his team as well as play as a point guard. So it kind of changes that. So I think he'll be fine at the next level. I I think that's something that'll get worked out. And hopefully where he is at the next level is Indiana. (laughs) Well, coming up, (laughs) we take a look back. We take a look back at the last 30 years of Indiana draft picks. We rank them from least valuable to most valuable based on the production they delivered relative to their draft position. The biggest takeaway, Indiana just hasn't had enough draft picks over the last three decades. We'll discuss. That's next. Stick with us. listening to the assembly call if you ever have to miss all or part of an episode of assembly call radio there are two great ways to catch up you can subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to podcasts just search for assembly call or you can watch our live broadcasts on thursday nights and participate in the live chat on youtube and when you watch on youtube for better or worse you get all of the between segment banter that doesn't make it into the radio or podcast edit which in one episode featured Ryan making this not so subtle and truly childish threat to anyone who questions his opinions. I will absolutely meet anybody by the bike racks after school if they want to fight. Subscribe to our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash assembly call. I am Jared Morris here with Ryan Phillips. No supervision this week from Andy Bottoms. I don't see how that could go wrong. Uh, Ryan, do you, do you remember the context of that statement, by the way? <laughs> No, no idea. We were, we were talking about the coaching search with, uh, and we were getting ready to prime you to talk about Steve Alford and, uh, and Greg Marshall. And oh, so uh, you were saying that for anybody who wanted to suggest those two as coaches for Indiana. It made me, it made me laugh. Anyway, <laughs> uh, so let's talk about the draft. So the last 30 years, the draft is coming up next week. 
So when you look at the last 30 years of the draft for Indiana, and obviously there were drafts before that, and we'll get to that in a second, but a few kind of top-line numbers here. Indiana has had 22 players drafted since 1987. That's less than a player per year, obviously. The Hoosiers have had 12 first-round picks. They've had five lottery selections. And they have had a total of seven players who have accumulated at least 10 win shares. That's a statistic on basketball reference during their career. And by the way, that does not include Josh Smith, despite him being part of the IU family. I did not include him in. He'll always be part of the IU family. Always be part of the IU family. Didn't include him in there. So just those numbers real quick, Ryan, top line numbers. What does that tell you about IU basketball since 1987? Got to do better. God, he's got to have more more high level talent. I mean, well, think about the in the especially in the the way that recruiting is these days. It's about showing that you can put guys in the league. I mean, especially if you're going after those top level guys. Um, I think that it is definitely about showing that you can you can put people in the league. You can take a five star guy and turn him in to a top level player and, and get him in that lottery, get him in the first round. And and you know, Indiana has not done well at that over the last you know what is it two decades i mean geez yeah and, and look and prior to that and you know our buddy IU artifacts bill murphy people like that would kill me if i didn't mention this indiana had a lot of draft success prior to 1987 you know think about it walt bellamy was the first overall pick in 1961 hall of fame isaiah thomas second overall in 1981 hall of fame george mcginnis probably the greatest draft pick in iu history given the value second round pick 22nd overall Hall of Fame, had a great career. You had Dick and Tom Van Arsdale were both drafted and had good careers. Mike Woodson was the 12th overall pick, had a good career. John McLaughlin. Uh, Kent Benson was the first overall pick, probably didn't live up to that, uh, but did play in the league for you know, 10, 12 seasons. So the Hoosiers did have a lot of success prior to that, but since 1987, it has been more limited. And so what we did, Ryan, is we went through and we looked at all of these guys and just wanted to assess you know the value relative to their draft position and see you know what were the best draft picks who you know have have, have produced the most relative to their draft position and who have struggled the most and you know for this analysis given that some guys are still in the middle of their careers we had to balance you know who still has time left in their career with guys whose careers are over and one thing I debated was whether or not we should include OG Ananobi and Thomas Bryant given that they've only played one season But, you know, when I looked at it, OG is already 11th out of the 22 players in terms of win shares, and he's played one season. So that tells you the lack of success that a lot of these players have had. So I figured because of that, we have to include him because, I mean, he's already one of the top 10 draft picks of the last, uh, you know, 30 years. So we've got him in there. Um, So let's start with the least valuable draft pick of all time. And... It's not, you know, fun to do because this is a guy that we like that we've had on the show before, uh, but it's Kirk Haston. He was picked number 16 in the first round by Charlotte in 2001. He played in the NBA for two years, played five minutes per game, 1.2 points. He actually accounted for negative 0.5 win shares. He's the only player on the list that had negative win shares. And, Ouch. you know, when we talked to Kirk, when we interviewed him a couple years ago, uh, when his book Days of Night came out, 
he told us that that was one of his big regrets was, you know, leaving. He would have been part of that 2002 team. I mean, put him on that team. Imagine how good they could have been, you know, and that was one of his big regrets. And obviously his NBA career didn't turn out like it, you know, like he wanted to. He had his reasons for leaving. Um, and, you know, it doesn't denigrate anything that he did as a college player. He was a great college player, but just didn't have the kind of game that would really translate to the NBA. So, because he had the, the negative 0.5 win shares, he actually, and was a first round pick. I mean, that, that hurts as a first round pick. He, you know, is a less valuable draft pick even than Damon Bailey, who didn't play at all, but at least was the 44th overall pick. And then, you know, kind of going up from the bottom, Jay Edwards, who was second round 33rd overall, you know, played one year, didn't make a mark. Keith Smart was a second round pick, number 41, didn't make a mark. Daryl Thomas was actually a seventh round pick back when they had that many rounds, the late Daryl Thomas. Uh, he didn't play. Um, so you kind of, you go there. Any general thoughts there on the guys at the bottom of the list? Yeah, I mean, it's just sometimes great college players just aren't great NBA players. It's the ultimate, yeah. you know, view of that. And and uh, I think that, you know, for some guys, it just does not translate. And for some guys, uh, they do make poor decisions. Kirk Haston is certainly one of those guys who I believe made a poor decision. I think that uh, there's another guy I think we're going to talk about later who I think we all agree made a poor decision. Um, but at the same time, they make the decisions for whatever reason, whether it's family reasons, whether it's, it's money, financial reasons, whether they're just tired of, you know, doing the college thing or whatever uh, they make their decisions for themselves and they have to live with it. So, you know, I never get down on guys for leaving early. Um, they all have their own reasons for doing so, but I, I do believe that, that I think it's fair to say that Kirk Aston is, is the ultimate example of guy who made a mistake and could have come back and certainly increased his draft stock. You're listening to The Assembly Call. I'm Jared Morris here with Ryan Phillips. We are talking about the least valuable Indiana draft picks of the last 30 years, leading all the way up to the most valuable. So let's run through these other guys kind of quickly and just go through the list. Uh, number 17, Greg Graham. He was a first-round pick, picked number 17 by Charlotte. If you're an Indiana Hoosier and you go to Charlotte, it, you, it rarely turns out well. It's not a good thing. Not a good thing. Uh, number 16, Bracey Wright was a second-round pick for Minnesota. Andre Patterson in 1998 was a second-round pick of Minnesota. Brian Evans at number 14. He was the 27th pick in the first round for Orlando. And, you know, there's really not a lot separating these guys. They all played, you know, two, three, four years in the league, you know, played eight to ten minutes per game, didn't score very much. So there wasn't a whole lot separating them. Next up is A.J. Guyton. Uh, number th number 13, he was a second round pick, you know, did play 15 minutes per game in his three years, which is more than any of the other guys that we've mentioned, uh, but didn't produce a lot. And now this is where I want to get your feedback on this, Ryan, because I think you'll have some insight. The final three guys here that kind of round up the bottom part of this list, I put Thomas Bryant at number 12. And he's only played, you know, he's he was the forty second pick in last year's draft. Only played so most a, of the year in the G League. Yeah, and played, you know, played fifteen games, four point eight mm -hmm. minutes, didn't really leave a mark. Uh, and then above him on this list, your boy Steve Alford, uh, second round pick, number twenty six for Dallas. He played four years, played about nine point seven minutes per game. And then DJ White at number ten, he was a first round pick, number twenty nine by Detroit. You know, played some for the Oklahoma City Thunder. Spent six years in the league, fifteen point three minutes. Um, you know, I just I put Thomas Bryant below those guys because they actually produced something. But I feel like Thomas could rise above those guys if his career goes like we think it will, uh, because he was a 42nd, you know, the 42nd pick. And I think he's got the ability to give the Lakers or some team some value um, at the 42nd pick. What did you see from him just his first year to make you agree or disagree? 
a vastly improved player is what I saw. Uh, a much better ball handler, much more consistent shooter, a lot more solid, uh, just overall game. Uh, he's really playing well defensively. He was he was a G League midseason all-star. Uh, just no room for him on the Lakers because they had a you know $20 million Brooke Lopez for one year and uh, Vitka Zubots. Uh, a European center was also on the team. So they just let Thomas go down to the G league develop and they have him on the bench during games. And, and then towards the end of the year, they started bringing him with them on the, bringing him with them on the road. And he started getting some more games. And I, I think that he's a part of that, the future out there. Now this summer is going to be really interesting for Thomas and something for IU fans to pay attention to, because he may wind up somewhere else if they, decide to go after two max contract players not to get completely off the rails here but this this impacts a, a, an IU guy I think we all like if the Lakers try and go after two max contract players they're gonna have to clear the roster other than their top four young guys which is Josh Hart Lonzo Ball uh, Brandon Ingram and Kyle Kuzma they're gonna have to clear the rest of the roster which means they're gonna have to let Thomas Bryant go and I don't think they want to do that so it'll be interesting to see how this plays out he certainly uh, will be mentioned in a lot of these conversations about if the Lakers are going to get these big guys, you'll see his name mentioned a lot. And, and I, I know the Lakers really like him. I just don't know, you know, what their priorities are this summer. So I would love to see him stick out there. And I think he can be the second unit center next year, potentially turning into a guy who gets, you know, maybe just below starters minutes because I, I, I really like the way he runs the floor. I like the way he can finish at the rim. I like the way he can step out and shoot it. I think he fits the modern NBA really well. And I think we'll start to see that uh, wherever he winds up. Yeah. It looked like his shot continued to develop. In his, it his got first year much better this year. Yeah. yeah. And he was a monster rebounder this year as well. So, I mean, look, we uh, saw it his freshman year. He was absolutely outstanding. I know, you know, as a sophomore, he struggled a little bit under some of the increased pressure, you know, and, and, and well, that, whole that, team, that whole season it, fell apart. But you remember that Thomas was a lottery pick if he left his freshman year. He was a surefire top 15 pick, no matter what. And he could have the worst workout in the world. Somebody, you know, after that freshman year, somebody would have taken him. But when everybody suffered that next year and the whole team kind of, stunk it up it brought everybody down and he fell the second round because of that so and there there was there were thoughts before the draft that he wouldn't even get drafted you know and that, yeah. that's unbelievable to go from a lottery pick to potentially not drafted but the lakers i think got a steal there yeah and look obviously this analysis doesn't take into account guys like yogi farrell and troy williams who have succeeded you know and, and stuck around in the nba despite not getting drafted we just wanted to analyze the actual draft pick and, and how the guys did uh who got picked so those are the least valuable IU draft picks over the last 30 years. Uh, and let's, uh, let's move on now, and we'll talk about the other guys. So coming up, we continue our look back at the last 30 years of NBA drafts from an IU perspective. We've counted down the 12 least valuable selections since 1987. Now we will count down the nine most valuable selections. Where does Victor Oladipo rank among them? Stick with us. We'll find out next. Welcome back. You are listening to The Assembly Call. So here is a little fun fact. We have over 5,600 IU fans from around the globe who subscribe to our email newsletter. There's a high-level operation going on out there. 
And you can join too. It is easy. Just text IU to 66866 or go to assemblycall.com. You will get our weekly Six Banner Sunday news roundups as well as our post-game analysis emails once the season begins. It is all free and it will make you a smarter and more well-informed IU basketball fan. Again, go to assemblycall.com or text IU to 66866 and join for free today. Make no excuses. All right, I'm Jared Morris here in a rare two-man booth this week with Ryan Phillips. And Ryan, we're talking about Indiana draft picks over the last 30 years. And we spent the last segment kind of talking about how few there have been and what that means for the program and talking about some of the guys who have really struggled. Now we'll get to the top nine. And again, you know, you think about these are the best draft picks of the last 30 years from Indiana. Yeesh. And it is suggestive of why the program hasn't quite lived up to its blue blood status. Because, you know, look, these, a lot of these guys were great college players. They're guys that we all really like. And some of them have had good professional careers. But this is not the kind of list that a Kentucky would have or that a Kansas would have well, or that, that one of those schools would have. Here's what, here's what I want to interject and say real quick is, you know, Kentucky has had just as many busts as Indiana. The problem is, or the difference is they're having, they're putting five guys in the lottery every couple of years. You get one or two of those guys to hit and you're fine. You know, or one or two of those guys to be decent. Even it elevates you to another level and it covers the busts when you're not having that many guys in the lottery or the first round, you got a thinner margin for error. So yeah, uh, yeah, that, that just, it's just so apparent. All right, so going up from the bottom, number nine is Noah Vonley, who was a first-round pick, the the ninth pick uh, for the Charlotte Hornets. He's played four years. He's averaged 15 and a half minutes and four points. And I know someone in our live, you know, in our live chat was wondering where Noah was. And I kind of on thought, the other one on the yeah, worst picks. Uh, yeah, on, on the worst picks. And I kind of thought he'd be down there too. But man, when you look at the production of the other guys, there's just no one to knock him off the list. And you know, and he still has some time to continue developing and to rack up some production. But there's just not not many other guys there to knock him off. So Noah's here at number nine. Number eight is Jared. He, well, Noah, let, oh, let's let's say about Noah first. I think I think that along with Kerry Hayston, he's one of those guys that definitely should have come back for another year and developed his game a little. He should have been on that two year plan. He should have listened. I, Look, I was trying to give the kid good advice, and nobody listened to me. Noah was on a two-year plan. We all remember over and over again. I know. He was. So at number eight is Jared Jeffries, who was uh, the number 11 pick of Washington, spent a lot of time with New York, and he carved out an 11-year career, played 21.6 minutes, didn't score a lot, you know, (laughs) 4.8 points, so wasn't hugely productive, but did play in the league for a while. If you ask advanced stats people, they will say Jared Jeffries is one of the worst offensive players in NBA history, but he played long enough that it sort of worked out (laughs) numbers-wise, if you look at these numbers. Yeah. Uh, next up is Dean Garrett, and he was a second round pick of Phoenix. And, you know, given that he was a second round pick, 38th overall, he really returned some value. He played six years, uh, 19.4 points, uh, 4.8 points per game. So pretty solid there. And then next up is Cody Zeller. You want to speak about Cody Zeller for just a moment, Ryan? I think he's a guy who's just in a bad situation in Charlotte. I mean, he's been a, he's been a wildly efficient player. I think it was uh, not this past season, but the season before some analytics guys talked about how he was one of the most efficient players in the NBA. He just wasn't getting enough time. And uh, I think that Charlotte has just been a black hole for good draft picks and, and Charlotte drafts poorly as well. You see, they had Cody Zeller yet. They went out and got Frank Kaminsky. You know, I mean, those are, those are such similar players that, you're really shooting yourself in the own foot in the foot. They had Cody Zeller and they drafted Noah Vonley. Like it's just, they, they don't have a coherent draft strategy and that's leading to, you know, stacked depth chart of guys in the same position. And it's really hamstrung 
Cody's career. I think he's a guy like Victor Oladipo. Now, I don't think he's going to be go out and become an all-star like Victor Oladipo, but I think he's a guy who could benefit from a change of scenery like that and could be much, much better if uh, he had a chance to flourish somewhere else and a chance where they believe in him and say, hey, you're the starter, go play, go figure this out. Yeah, and then, you know, I had coming in next, and this, you know, can probably be debated. I put OG Ananobi next because he was the 23rd pick this year. And I know he's only played one year. We, pro- you know, we could have given OG and Thomas incompletes, but I wanted to fit him in here. But if you just kind of project, you know, played 20 minutes a game, 5.9 points, you know, according to win shares, had three win shares. He projects to be a guy who's pretty valuable. And so given that he was only the 23rd pick, that was kind of the tiebreaker for me between he and Cody Zeller because the expectations of a fourth overall pick are different than the expectations of a 23rd overall pick. So you could probably well, nitpick that, but it's just kind of projecting forward a little bit. Uh, look, OG as a rookie was guarding LeBron James in the playoffs. Now, LeBron made him look like a rookie at times, but LeBron James does that to veterans as well. So, But I thought it was, a, it was great. Uh, a great season for OG, especially considering it's his first year coming back off the knee surgery. You know, it's not like he came in at a hundred percent and ready to go. So this is a guy who is only going to get better and is already one of the top defensive wings in the NBA. And you heard people just praising him in the playoffs before they, of course, ran into the buzzsaw that was the Cavs in that series. That was, if the Cavs from that series played the Warriors, it would not have been a sweep. It would have gone maybe five. You are listening to The Assembly Call. I'm Jared Morris here with uh, Ryan Phillips, and we're talking about the most valuable Indiana draft picks of the last 30 years. And given that we just hit number five, and it's OG Ananobi, who's only played one season so far, kind of tells you what this list is about. But next up wah, on the list, we need, we need some sort of like, I need to get some cool like special music, you know, like, uh, you know, triumphant music with trumpets playing. It is the great Calvert Cheney who was the sixth pick of the Washington Bullets. Back then, they were the Bullets in 1993. Uh, Calvert did play 13 years. He averaged 26.7 minutes, only averaged 9.5 points per game for his career, but was a much better scorer early on. And he's even said, you know, he wishes he had kind of kept himself in better shape and had some of the more modern, uh, you know, uh, workout and nutrition advice that they have now, uh, you know, dealt with some injuries had a solid career. He, you know, for a couple of years there when Washington was up and coming, they had accumulated a lot of draft picks and they looked like they were going to be a pretty good team. He was a really solid player uh, for those teams. And, you know, again, you could quibble because he was picked so high at number six that the expectations were so high, but there just weren't that, haven't been that many other guys who have produced. So I find it hard to put anybody else above him as being more valuable. Um, And, you know, so a solid career for Calvert. He goes at number four. Next up is Alan Henderson, who Calvert played with at Indiana. He was the 16th pick of the Atlanta Hawks, played for 12 years, and didn't quite have the same career as Calvert. You know, played 21 minutes a game, 7.8 points, uh, but was a very good rebounder. You know, just a really solid, consistent player. And the, the reason he gets the nod over Calvert is he was the 16th pick. Calvert was the 6th pick, so a little bit more valuable there uh, because of the value. So before we get to the top two, Ryan... Um, I know back then you were much more focused on, you know, Tony Gwynn uh, and Dan Fouts than you were on Calvert Chaney and Alan Henderson. But Dan Fouts on- retired in 1988. <laughs> well, on whatever. I don't I don't know all my San Diego chicken <laughs> blank players. <that> well. <laughs> 
Any, any thoughts on any of those other guys before we get to the top two? And I think yeah, the top I mean, two I, pretty Calvert obvious and, and Allen, I would say, had very solid NBA careers. Those were those were solid NBA players, and they didn't they weren't transcendent. Allen Henderson was a, a great garbage man for the Hawks for for a while. You know, off the bench guy who would just mix it up. He was definitely a great late '90s, early 2000s player. You know, one of those guys who just, you know, back when guys used to just stand and throw punches at each other after uh, during loose balls, he was just one of those tough guys and, and was, it was, you know, alternately fun to watch, but also at times very ugly to watch. But that's the way the game was played back then. Uh, as far as Calvert Chaney goes, I think that a lot of people thought he would be a much more of a volume score really never happened. You're right about the, you know, keeping himself in shape. And, the, and a lot of guys from that era say that, you know, that the competition is obviously the hardest thing when you get to the NBA, but a close second is handling the travel, handling, you know, playing that many games, handling, keeping yourself in shape, using food as fuel and not just, you know, what tastes good. And, you know, all of that stuff and continuing to work out during the season, even when you're tired, all of that stuff just wears guys out. And so that, that's probably the biggest challenge you face because I think these guys have played basketball their whole lives. And while the competition is very difficult, that comes natural. Whereas the other stuff, you need to step up your game at the NBA level. And it's, it's a big jump. Just like you see with these guys coming in from high school, need to take it to the next level in order to be successful college players. It's the same level of jump. So the top two guys, and you might have guessed from the intro song uh, for this segment, but the top two guys here, Eric Gordon and Victor Oladipo. And I think you could argue either way for whoever you want to be number one. You know, the argument for Eric Gordon is he was the seventh pick, so he was picked a little bit later than Victor, which means he has a little bit lower burden of expectation for production. He's already played 10 years. You know, he's been sixth man of the year. Uh, He's just produced more. He's kind of got more skins on the wall than Victor does, has obviously played in in some key playoff series. And and look, you know, Victor got that experience last year with Oklahoma City, got it this year in more of a lead role with Indiana. But the reason why I put Victor at number one, Ryan, I'll be interested to hear what you think about this, despite the fact that he was picked number two and there's such high expectations for that slot, is this year he was an all-NBA player. And if you're going to pick someone at number two or even at number seven, you know, you're looking to get a superstar type player. And Victor Oladipo is now the one guy over the last 30 years that has made an all NBA team that you look at as, hey, this guy could be a superstar in the NBA now as we move forward. So given that, that he has reached a higher level than Eric Gordon as a player and, you know, Indiana is now his team, I put him at number one over Gordon. But both of those guys, you know, have they lived up to the level of their pick yet? Maybe not. And there were certainly other guys picked after them in those drafts that have produced more so far. But they've both had careers pretty close to what you would need to do to live up to that draft pick. And Victor looks like he's just getting ready to take off. Yeah, and he's played half the time that Eric Gordon has. And he already is, you know, more than half the win win shares and most of that coming this year. I think that that you're right. I think you're 100% right to put Victor number one uh, because he also looks like a star and, and he looked like a star this year. And, and and again, sometimes it's just as simple as a change of scenery to somewhere where people believe in you can change everything. And, you, you know, you'll see a really talented guy in college and you'll just be like, I can't believe how much of a bust he was in the pros. A lot of times it has nothing to do with talent. It has to do with the right situation, being where you're comfortable being around people that believe in you and being around people that just say, Hey, go play your game. Do what you do. Don't try and do what we want you to do. Go play the way you're comfortable. 
changes the game for him. And, and I think that Victor was a guy who finally got that this year and, and, and it allowed him to flourish. And, and if you look at Eric Gordon, I think he's, if you look at long-term of his career, he is putting up the numbers of a really good sixth man, it, like, like a high, high, high level sixth man. Uh, for the 10 years that he's been in the NBA. That's what it looks like. Now, he started for a lot of those years. But if you're looking at his career from a macro sense, that looks like a guy who he's doing a great job. You know, he's you can't complain about what he's done. But it also looks like he's found the perfect role in Houston, coming off the bench at a high-volume scoring team where he can just come out, get to the rim, shoot threes, and, and, and run up and down the floor. That's the perfect fit for him. He was an ill fit for the Clippers. He was a bad fit for the Pelicans, and he had injuries. So those definitely held him back on this list. Uh, but I, I still think that you're right. With the all-NBA pick for Victor, I think he goes number one. Easily. Now, what needs to happen is we need to revisit this topic in five years, and we need to add, be talking about Romeo Langford and Jerome Hunter and who knows, Jake Forrester, maybe Rob Finnessy, maybe Devontae Green we're talking about. Like, Clifton Moore. Clifton Moore, Trace Jackson Davis. Like, let's talk DJ Carton. Let's talk about all these guys. Um, seriously, I mean, I think we all expect that Romeo is going to be on this list. I mean, he's most likely going to be a lottery pick after next year. Who else on the roster right now do you think has the best chance of vaulting into the top 10 of this list Are we five, six years from now? Are we including the guys who just got on campus last week? All of them. Uh, Just take Romeo well, out of it because he's the obvious. Oh, okay, T- take Romeo out of it. Yeah, oh, yeah. sure. Yeah. yeah, take Romeo. Make well, it that's hard. No, that's no fun. No, I'm kidding. Uh, huh? Jeez, the top. Oh man. Because I'm down to two, and I can't decide. Jerome Hunter and who? Jawan Morgan. Oh, here we go again with Jawan Morgan. I think he could have an Allen Henderson like career. I do. You know, just one of those guys where he's just, he's never an all-star, but just has solid season after solid season after solid season. If you want a Purdue comparison, guy like Carl Landry, you know, who yeah. just was stuck no, I, around for a long time. I'm giving you, you a hard know? time, but I agree with you, especially after yeah. what Juwan showed last year. Yeah, those are the two. Those are the two guys. I mean, of course, Juwan would have to stay healthy. I think it's... That's, but that you would agree that, that Jerome would seem to have a higher ceiling. We just As far uh, as the ceiling goes, I think he's the obvious Based pick, on what yes. we know of him, which obviously yeah. isn't a ton right now. And you know what? If a guy like Jake Forrester were about two and a half, three inches taller, you know, if you were around the 6'10", 6'11", area, I might pick him just because he's that run-and-jump big man the NBA loves right now. I guys like who him, are man. I do, I, too. I think he's... I still I think, think he's, he's going to play more this year than people think. I just have a Could. feeling. <clears throat> I, it's gonna, this summer's big for him. This summer is big for him. He needs to get in the gym, get bigger, and, and continue to develop that athleticism. And, you know, work on his handle, work on holding on to the ball when he gets it in the post, things like that. But things that everybody needs to work on when they get on campus. But I think this summer's big for him if he wants to play this year. Uh, but I would say if a guy like him was a little taller and was a run and jump big man like that with versatility, you could step out on the floor because he's mobile enough to, in a pick and roll situation, take a guard, and just at least make sure he doesn't get beat off the dribble. I, I might pick him because he has the traits they're looking for in the NBA. Yeah. Uh, but I think Jerome Hunter is the easy answer. Juwan Morgan is a guy I think, given this list and how weak it is, <laughs> I think he could wind it's up. It's a really you know, weak list, man. <laughs> I, I think he could wind up piling, you know, piling up a ten-year career with a lot of win shares. You know, if you're yeah. looking at it that way. All righty. Well, that concludes our discussion of Indiana's NBA draft values uh, over the last 30 years. I felt like we had an amazing conversation on all levels. Thank you, Coach. I agree. 
coming up in our final segment, we answer your questions, which includes what team statistic we think will make the biggest jump this season and whether we'd rather have more five-star one-and-dones like Romeo or more solid four-year contributors like Juwan Morgan. That and more coming up next. Stick with us. listening to the assembly call we are wrapping up another week of talking iu basketball i am jared morris i am here with ryan phillips and let's get right to your questions we got some good ones this week the first one comes to us from adam in our slot group adam says by the end of the upcoming season which stat will be most improved by the team free throw percentage three point percentage defensive ken palm ranking or other well i'm gonna go other uh, and I, I want to uh, give a shout out to Bart Torvik, who was the guest that Alex Bozich and I had on this week's edition of Podcast on the Brink. If you haven't gone and checked out Bart's T-Rank site, it's barttorvik.com. He does projections similar to Ken Palm, but they've got a little bit of a twist, and he adds a bunch of additional uh, types of stats in different contexts. And he's got his projections for next year up. And here's what I thought was really interesting. His adjusted defensive efficiency projection for Indiana next season is 96.9, which is 56th in the country. Last season, it was 96.9, 57th in the country. His offensive rating for Indiana this season is, you know, projection is 117.7, 13th in the country. Last season, it was 110, 82nd. And I think that makes some sense. I mean, I think we all would like to see the defense improve, but let's remember that we're losing an all Big Ten level defender in Robert Johnson, who was outstanding. And again, you know, we're going to be replacing, we've got a lot of young guys coming in. You know, we don't know what kind of a defender Evan Fitzner is. And so while I would certainly hope Indiana's defense is better than 57th, I could see it stagnating a little bit more after the big jump it made last year. But you add an elite offensive talent like Romeo Langford to Juwan Morgan, add a shooter like Fitzner and some of the other talent, I can see Indiana's offense taking a big jump. So I actually think Indiana's offensive efficiency can take the biggest jump this year, in part because of how bad it was last year, but also in part because of the talent influx. Ryan, what do you think? I think it's going to be free throw percentage. Well, I mean, that and three-point percentage are pretty easy because they were so low last year. So. Yeah, and that, that's why I would say it. But I agree with you. I think the offensive rating is – I mean, I agree with your reasoning on the offensive rating. I absolutely do. Uh, I just think if you're if you're looking at those, I think free throw and three-point are probably pretty interlinked, and they were so low that they probably will be the most improved. Um, and I, I also think with the defensive rating, it's going to be very interesting. We'll know by November, late November, whether or not that's going to make a big jump. I think that the team will definitely progressively get better as the year goes on. But remember, last year they started so poorly. And the oh, fact that they were able to make that... We were that, in the 200s last year. <laughs> and, and the fact that they were able to make, make it as high as they did, and that fell off a little at the end last year. But the fact that they were able to make it as high as they did is a testament to that team getting so much better defensively. If Archie can do that same thing, even though you're losing Robert Johnson, even though you're losing you know, a, a couple veterans, you do gain a lot more physical talent. So I, I think that that's going to, that it will improve. I don't think it'll be the same. I think it will improve, but I don't know how much it will improve. All right. This question is from Eric, uh, who asked it on Facebook. Any chance that Romeo stays two years to possibly play with Watford Brooks and Jackson Davis? Obviously, if any of them decide to come to IU, Andy's going to take this question. Uh, no, no. Romeo will be gone after one season. Let's just not even entertain the thought of a two-year plan. Well, he said any chance. And what I'll say is, uh, the only chance is no, no. I'm gonna say relax. 
if he's healthy and and plays uh, you know to his potential this year he's going so i mean you said any chance yeah there's a tiny tiny chance if something goes wrong or if next year's draft winds up just being ridiculously loaded some guys will come, choose to come back another year i mean miles bridges came back you know guys do it so yeah i'd put the chance at less than 1% but sure any chance yes if you're asking that question i'm answering it as it's written any chance? Yes, there is, of course, a chance. Oh, my. Okay. Always a chance, but I do not think he's on a two-year plan. Okay. Uh, this is from Scott in our Slack group. Random thought. Would you rather have a high-ranked freshman for a year like Romeo or a player who has stayed for four years but could be an all-Big Ten guy like Morgan? Romeo creates some unknown upside that can be exciting versus you have seen Morgan grow. <clears throat> you get Romeo for one year. So, look, Ryan, we know that the answer is you want to blend. You need a you know solid four-year guys. You need to add in the elite talent. But Villanova just, is the yes, model program. We, we know that. But let's just, on the extremes, if you had to decide one way or the other, would you rather have your program built more by the solid four-year guys or more with the elite one-and-done guys? If you had to pick one side, not the blend that we know is the ideal. I'm going to qualify this really quickly to say I think Romeo is a special case because of what he means to the state of Indiana. Agreed. So if it's Romeo versus a great four-year guy, I'm taking Romeo because of what specifically he means but let's just take a random five-star one-year player um who didn't have the career romeo had and all that he's special um i would say the four-year player because i think that you have a better chance to win a national title with four-year players three-year players veteran guys than you do with an all five-star freshman And, and that's that's played out over the years you do you're right though the key is to get the blend you want to have a blend of veterans and high level talent uh, uh young guys that's how you win a national title that's the world now because of these one and dones high level teams are spending half their seasons you know like duke and and kentucky and and whoever are spending half their seasons just getting to know each other where these other guys are already up and running they've been through the wars they've been through a tournament they know the situation uh, and they've been through conference play, things like that. It elevates you down the stretch. So I would say, yeah. Yeah. And as a fan, uh, again, Romeo's a special case, but I prefer the experience of watching a guy grow and develop over four years. It's so much more rewarding. Yes, like man. a Juwan Morgan, like a Yogi Ferrell. I just think that's a much better experience as a fan. All right. That'll do it for us on this week's episode of the Assembly Call. If you want to see us do the show live and be part of the live chat, join us at assemblycall.com on Thursday nights for the live broadcast of our Assembly Call radio recording. Or you can always subscribe to our podcast by searching for Assembly Call wherever you listen to podcasts. And don't forget to go to assemblycall.com slash join to join our free email newsletter or text IU to 66866. Thank you for listening. We'll be back to talk IU hoops again with you next week. Until then, keep your elbows in and your eyes on the rim and go Hoosiers. Thank everybody for coming out. Thank you for being here and for listening to this episode of The Assembly Call. We appreciate it. And we really do rely on the support of audience members like you to keep our show going and to keep growing. And so we have set up a page on our website at assemblycall.com slash support that lists five ways that you can support The Assembly Call. And we encourage you to choose whichever method is the easiest and most convenient for you. One of the methods is donating, and so many of you have donated, and we appreciate it so much. On that page, you can choose a monthly recurring donation or an annual recurring donation or just a one-time donation, whatever works for you. And if you don't want to donate, 
Another way to support the show is you can use our affiliate URLs, iutickets.shop or iustore.shop when you're going to shop for tickets or gear, and we will get paid a small commission when you use those links. But however you support the show, we appreciate it. Thank you. Sticky notes, email alerts, a string around your finger. They're just not big enough. So here's a big reminder from the California Lottery. Tonight's Mega Millions jackpot is over $250 million. Whew. Play now. Please play responsibly. Must be 18 years or older to purchase player client. Rocket Pro Insight makes it easy for real estate agents to help clients strengthen their offers with a verified approval, giving you the power to adjust the approval letter amount. Sign up today at rocketpro.com slash real estate. Offer terms and details. Equal housing lender. License 50 states. NLS number 33. Verified approval only valid on certain 30-year purchase transactions.